Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous broadcast, I was talking about Matthew chapter 5, where the Lord Jesus was speaking to people in what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, my intent in the previous program was to explain that when Jesus said, you would be blessed if you were poor in spirit. He said that you would be blessed if you were one who mourns. It is then that you will be comforted. If you are meek or humble, you will be blessed. I explained in the previous program that to the person who would have been hearing him say these things, to the people who he was speaking to, they would not have heard him say this in the context of if you would like God to bless you, this is how you live. That is not what they would be hearing. And the reason why is, of course, because the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching the people that they had a way to achieve success. They had a way to achieve obedience to the commandments of God. And through your obedience, God would bless you because that is what he promised in the law. But in order to obtain these blessings, in order to obtain this divine intervention in your life, you would have to live in obedience to the commandments. And they told the people that we have a way that you can accomplish this. And if you follow the way that we believe you should live, if you follow this way, then you will never be poor in spirit. You will always be rich in spirit. You will never have a reason to mourn. You will never have a reason to be humble because the pride that you can have in your success and your expectation that God will intervene in your life will be legitimate because you have succeeded in living a life of obedience to the commandments. There would never be any need for you to be merciful because God would ensure that no one would ever violate you to the point where you would have the need to be merciful. And so when Jesus said the things that he said to the people about being blessed because these things are happening to you, to the mind of the people at that time, they would be thinking that Jesus was saying to them, you will be blessed when you sin, not when you're obedient, but you will be blessed when you sin. Now, the only way that this can be accomplished is if the law is abolished, if the law is taken away. That's the only way that you can experience anything in the context of blessings. It's the only way that the divine hand of God can be removed from your life so that you can have the opportunities to be merciful, so that you can have the opportunities to be persecuted, so that you can have the opportunities to be humble, the opportunities to mourn, the law has to be taken away so that you no longer have a way to get God to defend you, to get him to intervene in your life. This is why he says in the following verses, beginning in verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. I want you to understand that there isn't some disconnect between verses 1 through 12 and verse 17. There is no disconnect there. They are connected. That would be the legitimate thought that an individual would have at that time when he says what he says between verses 1 and 12 in chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. That would be the natural result of what he said. The only way for this to be achieved is if the law is abolished so that a person would end up in sin because they would no longer have the guidelines, the laws, the rules, the regulations to live by. And only then can they be blessed in this way. This can be very difficult for people to understand in this modern age because for the most part, what people are doing in the Christian world is they are looking at this and they are saying, look, here is the way that a Christian can be blessed. Here is the way that a Christian can obtain happiness, joy. This is the constitution for the Christian life. For us to live the Christian life, we have to learn how to be poor in spirit. We have to learn how to mourn, how to be gentle or meek or humble. We have to learn how to be merciful. We have to be pure in heart. We have to achieve these things so that God will respond by blessing us. But from a Pharisaical point of view, from the religious perspective of the people at that time, that is not what they would be hearing. That's what people are hearing today. I understand that. I hear that all the time as well. But I don't think that that is what he was intending to say. I sincerely believe that he led them to the point of questioning whether or not they should have the law so that he could say, no, I am not here to abolish the law. We know that his ministry was not about abolishing the law. We know that his ministry was about teaching the law. Not the law that the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching. They were not really teaching the Mosaic law. They were teaching another law. They were teaching the Talmudic law, which was the combination of the Mishnah and the Gomorrah, which I explained in the previous program. That's what they were teaching. And he says, no, I am here to teach the Mosaic law and to teach it in the way that it needs to be taught. And I'm going to encourage you to follow the law in the way that God demanded, because if you will do that, if you will be sincere, if you will be committed, if you will be true, if you will live your life obeying my commandments, then eventually you will reach the point of such absolute and utter despair that you will be able to receive the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. Only then can you enter in to the new covenant and then you can be blessed in the way that I am describing, but not because of your obedience or the lack thereof, but because you will receive what God has for you instead of you trying to do things for God so that he will bless you. Instead, he will bless you so that you can do the works of God. And those are two completely different ways of life. Under the law, you live, you work, you obey so that he will bless you. Under the new covenant, you are blessed so that you can live your life with the blessings that he has already given to you. You do not live your life in the new covenant trying to obtain blessings in response to how you live. So he does partially proclaim the new covenant, but they are not going to be able to understand that until after they are resurrected by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit testifies to them of these truths, of these realities. So the Lord Jesus has to follow up 
what he said with the absolute statement that he is not here to abolish the law. Instead, he is here to teach the law. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees would say that they were teaching the law, but they were teaching the law in the context of they had found a way to achieve success. They found a way to do it in their own minds. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to teach you the law to the point of failure. I'm going to encourage you to live a life of obedience to the law, repent from your sins and obey his commandments to the point where you will fail. Because it is only then that you will be ready to be the recipient of the mercy of God. Now, when he says that he came to fulfill the law, there are several different ways that he came to fulfill the law. And we need to identify exactly what he meant by that. You know, there are a lot of people who defend their belief that we are to live a life of obedience to the commandments that God gave through Moses. There are many people who really believe that we are to continue to live that way, And I sincerely believe that the more devoted a person is to that, I really believe that they will eventually become a Pharisee, that that would be the maximum that they could possibly ever hope to obtain if they were truly committed. And I have found very few people who are committed enough, honestly, to be able to see that that is the direction that you eventually have to go in in order to find some way of achieving success. But to be honest with you, I find it very unusual to find people who really are that sincere, who really are that true, who are really that devoted. I personally think that if you want to live that way, you should do it. And I think you should do it with great devotion and great sincerity so that eventually you will reach the point of realizing that you have no hope outside of his mercy. Because I don't think people really believe that. I I just don't see any evidence in people who try to defend Their lifestyles, I don't see any evidence that they really do believe that they have a need for the mercy of God. And they will use verses like this. They'll say things like, you see, he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. And then they just cut it off there. They just stop there. And then they look at me like, that's supposed to be the ultimate statement, the ultimate conclusion that settles all dispute. And to me, it settles absolutely nothing, because you have got to answer the question, What did he mean by that? Now, first and foremost, of course, I believe that when he said that, he meant to say that he was not going to teach people to be sinners and so they could be blessed. That would be the most appropriate conclusion from a rabbinical point of view of what he just said, that an individual is going to be blessed when they succeed in being a sinner. And I don't think that that was what he was intending to say. And so he said this in order to clarify that he was here to teach the law. Absolutely. So we have to deal with the question of what did he mean when he said he came to fulfill the law? Now, there are several ways that this could be answered, and I believe all of them are true. Which one he was thinking of when he said this, I'm not sure of. It could have been all of them. I honestly don't know what he was intending to say at this time, but I can tell you that there are a number of ways that he did fulfill the law. The first way that he fulfilled the law was that the law demanded that an individual live a perfect life. They needed to live in such a way that they would never violate any of the commandments and they would obey 
all of the commandments. They would do all of the things that the law required, and they would never do those things that the law forbade an individual from doing. Jesus lived a perfect life. He did everything that the law demanded, and he never did anything that the law forbade him from doing. In that way, he fulfilled the law by his obedience. We, of course, cannot live in obedience to the law. And so, what is the summary of the penalty that each one of us is to experience because of our failure? Well, that's simple. The law demands obedience or death. That's the summary. The wages of sin is death. And when we violate the law, we have sinned. And so, that is the summary. But we, of course, cannot die on our own behalf because... Our life just isn't worth giving. So he died on our behalf. The law demanded obedience or death. He fulfilled the law by being obedient on his own behalf. And he also took the penalty of death on our behalf. So those are two ways that he fulfilled the law. First, by his own obedience. And second, by dying on our behalf those of us who are disobedient, which is all of us, everyone who has ever lived and who will ever live in the history of humanity. Now, these are not the only ways that he fulfilled the law. There are other ways. The law presented a description of how the Messiah would accomplish salvation in a number of ways. And these ways that the law expresses this are what I refer to as the foreshadowings the foreshadowings, and also the prophetic inferences. For example, if you take a look at the Day of Atonement, if you examine the Day of Atonement and you see the importance of the Day of Atonement, and when you study what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us, the effect of that, you will find that the Lord Jesus fulfilled the law that was described in the Day of Atonement by presenting himself as the offering for all sin, to include those sins that we did not know that we committed. As the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the Lord Jesus went into the true Holy of Holies before the true ark and sprinkled his own blood as opposed to the high priest sprinkling the blood of the animal. That is a foreshadowing. It is a prophetic inference. The Lord Jesus was described as the Passover lamb. Well, that says a lot, because if you go into the law and examine the laws of Passover, you will see that just as the Passover lamb was selected on the 10th day of the month, so also the Lord Jesus arrived in Jerusalem on the 10th day of that month. When the Passover lambs were being selected, he was selected by the people as the Messiah when he entered into Jerusalem on that day. The Passover lambs were examined for four days before they were sacrificed to see if there was any blemish in them at all. So also the Lord Jesus made himself available to be examined for those days just as the Passover lambs were being examined. And so there is a fulfillment to the law through the life that the Lord Jesus lived, through the things that he accomplished and the way that he accomplished them. He fulfilled the law from a prophetic point of view. In the New Covenant, we now have a new way of life that we have entered into, if, of course, we have been saved. For example, we now live our lives resting and trusting 
in what he accomplished for us. If you look at the law concerning the Sabbath, the Sabbath law was given and it spoke of a rest that we entered into. In Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, we have a description of the rest that has now been presented to us in Christ Jesus. A rest that we are not to fail to enter into, otherwise we may fall, according to the same example of disobedience. Not disobedience to the Sabbath day, but disobedience to the Sabbath rest that we can now enter into. Whereas with the Sabbath law, we rested from our works in the flesh. But in the Sabbath rest in the new covenant, we rest from our works of righteousness because of what he did for us. And those are two completely different types of rest. In the law, we have a description of the physical rest. In the new covenant, we have the description of the spiritual rest because of what Jesus accomplished. And in that way, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law for us. And so when we see a statement like this, where Jesus says that he did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, we have to answer the question of what does it mean to fulfill the law? Now, there is great value in having the law, and I believe that the law is alive today, it is functional today, and it should be used today. For those who want to be under the law, I will definitely teach them the law. They need the law. They need to be put under the law so that they will eventually reach the point of absolute despair and realize that they have to be saved. I use the law to drive a person to the point of salvation, even if they think that they are saved. They might be, they might not be. I would like to think that they are, because I remember the days when I was living a life that I believe was righteous. I believe that I was living in obedience to the commandments of God. And I believe that Jesus was the Messiah, even though I didn't understand the implications of what he had accomplished. And so I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I will still... Use the law. I will give them the law. And so it is available. It can be used. But there is a new covenant that he has established. And if we are going to enter into that, we have to let go of the law. We have to put it aside, recognize that it was given for specific purposes, use it for those purposes, and then let it go in order to enter into the new way of life that he has given to us. In verse 18, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And I sincerely believe that not all has been accomplished. All will be accomplished, but that is going to happen in the future. And so today, the law is there I use it, and I believe that if a person will be devoted to it, that they will eventually get to the point where they will realize that they have absolutely no hope outside of his mercy. Continuing into verse 19, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called Great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, listen to me very carefully. The scribes and the Pharisees believed that they were doing this. They believed that they were teaching people to obey the commandments. But they were not. They may have believed that they were, but they weren't. The reason why they were not doing that was because 
First of all, they were primarily teaching the lifestyle, not the commandments of Moses, but the lifestyle that a person should live so that they would never come within the boundaries of violating the commandments of Moses. In that small way, they weren't really teaching the commandments. In another way, though, what they were teaching people was a lifestyle or a way of living. They were teaching the people in such a way that people were not obeying the commandments. They were teaching people to obey certain things that would actually contradict the commandments. For example, the law says that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, they asked the question, who is my neighbor? And with all the qualifications that they established in order to determine who their neighbor was, then they were able to identify some people that they did not have to love because they didn't fit the criteria of being that individual's neighbor. And so in that way, they taught a person how they could obey the commandments by giving them a way out by giving them an excuse to hate someone, even though technically they would still be their neighbor. But the Pharisees gave them a way to live their lives in such a way that they would not have to love them as they would be expected to love other people. And so by their teachings, they negated the commandments of God. That's how Jesus explained it. He said, by your teachings, by your commandments, by your laws, you effectively negate the commandments of God. Now, I want you to understand something and that it would be necessary for them to do this. It would be necessary. They would have to find a way to effectively negate the commandments of God so that they could say that people were obeying them because they couldn't obey them anyway. If it is true that we cannot live a holy, righteous life, a life of obedience to the commandments, if that is true, then we have to find some way to negate the commandments. We have to find some way to fail to teach the commandments as God gave them. That's why he says, whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least. He's not saying that in order to defend grace teachers, for example, so that a grace teacher will say, well, I may not be teaching people to live in obedience to the commandments, but I will at least make it into heaven. I might be among the least, but I'll be there. That's not what he was saying. He was saying that if people make it into heaven, if they make it and they are teaching people to live according to the way of life of the scribes and the Pharisees, if they make it into heaven, if they manage to do that because they do meet the criteria of the gospel, then they will be the ones who are the least, least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, certainly, if a person keeps the commandments, they're going to be great. No one can keep the commandments of God, so no one will be called great in the kingdom of heaven because they fulfill the commandments of God through the energy of their flesh or through the desire in their heart. But they could be great in the kingdom of heaven by teaching the law. And so, if you'd like the law, I'll give it to you. I'll give you the law. I'll give you the law in such a way that you will see that you are hopeless, that you do need forgiveness, that you do need mercy. So while I certainly will not do it myself because I am not God manifested in the flesh, 
I can teach you the commandments, and so if I make it there, I'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. I'm certainly not motivated by such things, and I'm not going to question God if I'm not called great in the kingdom of heaven. I just want you to see that what he says here in verse 19 is a direct attack against the Pharisees, the teachings of the Pharisees. So he can say in verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He was telling the people that they needed to do more, that the scribes and the Pharisees did not achieve the success that they believed they had achieved, that we must do more. We are not, or they are not, living the life that they really needed to live, that maybe, perhaps, a lot of what they did was keeping them from sin. Perhaps that's the case. But if that's the case, it's only a good start. You must do more, much more. You must exceed that. What they have declared is not the end. It's only the beginning. And so from there into verse 21, he proceeds to add to what they would have taught. He gives more. He gives them more law, more commandments. You think they've achieved success? No. Let's add some more to it. Because if you don't, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the theme of the Pharisees was that they had achieved success. They had achieved adequate success. And of course, they expected that the Messiah would come and finish off what they started. They believed that they had gone as far as they could go. And they expected the Messiah to finish their pursuit. The Lord Jesus took advantage of the Pharisees' perspective concerning that. He then used the Pharisaical model to say, let's add more laws. And the people would have recognized that because that's what they were accustomed to hearing from the Pharisees. But the intent of Jesus, the purpose that he had, his theme, was to then teach the law as it should be taught to the extent that people will realize that they are going to reach a point of failure. He was not teaching them how to live. He was teaching them how they would eventually fail. And I will explain this further in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net